Today on episode number 513 of the School of Podcasting, which you can find at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 513, we've got some really cool because of my podcast stories, and uh, yeah, I got busted, had to pay a fine, broke the law, so we're bringing in Gordon Firemark to talk a little bit about keeping your podcast legal. Hit it, ladies! The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I'm your very own personal podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, here's what's going on. I'm bringing my 20 plus years of helping people understand technology, and we help you massage your message. We help you tackle that technology. We face your fears and flatten that learning curve and get you on the road to successful podcasting. Our website is schoolofpodcasting.com and... At the end of the show, I'll be telling you about a special event coming up, but a real special event that is coming up is on June 1st, the School of Podcasting will reopen for people looking to start a podcast. So if that's you, sign up, get ready to you know get that pen in your hand and get ready to sign up. Start thinking about what your podcast is going to be about. It's going to be a lot of fun on June 1st. Now, a couple things here. As we're going to be getting into some legal speak a little later, I want to make sure I say this right up front. Number one, I'm not a lawyer. Gordon is. But you know what? For this episode, we're still going to say you should always consult your local lawyer because there may be rules that change based on where you're at, especially since this is going global. So that's our little CYA part of the show. But one of the things I love about podcasting is the fact that, yeah, in some cases it will bring you money, but it also brings you relationships and also helps you in other parts of your life. So right now, one of my favorite new podcasts is called Red Podcast. You can find it at redpodcast.com. It's from an old friend of mine, David Hooper, and uh, he's got a really cool because of my podcast story. Dave Jackson, David Hooper here, Red Podcast. Got a because of my podcast story. 11 years ago, I approached a radio station about doing a weekly interview show of music business people. That was my background, music marketing, and I wanted a way to market myself. And before they let me on the air, what we did is we developed the show, the concept of the show, and cut a pilot episode so that we could take it to the higher ups at the radio station and actually get permission to air this thing and also go out and find sponsors before we launched. And I called one of my music business buddies. His name is Des Dickerson. He played guitar with Prince. He was in the band Prince and the Revolution. And if you've ever seen the 1999 video, Des is the guy with the Japanese headband. I knew Des would have a lot of great stories, make my job easy. He had some level of celebrity. So we brought him in, cut the pilot episode. I had everything laid out, the intros, the outros, the questions. It wasn't quite to the level of entrepreneur on fire but it was pretty close. And I bring up this episode because Prince just died. We're going to re-air that episode this week. But the episode was so old, we lost the promo. Didn't have anything to promote it with all week long. So we needed a new promo to let people know to tune in. Engineer asked me, can you do it? I said, yeah, I can do it. Promo is 30 seconds long. Normally, it's the guest talking. He presses the record button off the top of my head. No notes. Speak into the mic. 30 seconds, beginning, middle, and an end. It makes complete sense. Zero edits. It's ready to air. One take. And it was such a contrast to the show I was actually promoting, which was me reading 
everything. And if you listen to that episode, it sounds static. It sounds like I'm made out of cardboard. And it made me think, because of my podcast, not the radio show, where I'm in there one day a week, where I'm interviewing guests, and they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to talking for an hour. It's because of my podcast, Red Podcast, just me speaking into the mic, that I developed these skills where I can cut a promo, where I can have the beginning, the middle, and an end in any kind of talk that I do. A live talk, it's helped my blog post, it's helped the new book that I'm writing on, it's helped my organization. I think that's one of the huge benefits of podcast. And when I was just on the radio, once a week, and sometimes we take a month off, two months off, podcasting multiple days a week, whenever I want to do it, that's how the skill is developed. This is the training ground for broadcasting, for organization, for getting your point across. Thank you, Dave. Again, find him at redpodcast.com. You know what's cool about the Red Podcast? It started out, it was um, Dave and his wife, and then they were doing interviews, and now it's just Dave, so they changed their format. And you know what? Tell them, Ryan. No one will punch you in the face. That's right. Nobody punched Dave in the face. It's your podcast. It's your recipe. You can change it however you want. Speaking of Ryan, let's stick with his theme. Ryan from foodcraftsman.com, also because of his podcast, he was able to basically be more confident and just be better at presenting ideas. And he was actually featured, Chef Ryan, I should say, from foodcraftsman.com, appeared on the local news. Check this out. Mother's Day is just days away at this point. And if you still haven't gotten mom something just yet, don't worry. You can always make her something special, maybe something special to eat. This morning, I'm joined by uh, culinary arts instructor, Chef Ryan Parker, and culinary arts student, Amir Shakur from Dorsey uh, Culinary Academy. Also, uh, Chef Jeremy as well here. He's the associate director of Dorsey. Thank you guys uh, so much for coming in. What are we making today? So one of the big things about Mother's Day is we have a lot of people come over for the family and we want to not be in the kitchen while we're having the party. So we want to do something nice and simple to make ahead. So we decided that we're going to do a nice, large strawberry shortcake. Um, And mainly we start off with just some strawberries here. So it was very cool to see Ryan in like his, his chef gear was really, really cool. And just doing something more and more makes you better at it. I was able to go to my, I was invited to go to a Toastmasters. Have you ever been to Toastmasters? It's a thing here in the U.S., where it's basically a bunch of people get together to work on their public speaking. And uh, Kim from Toastmasters101.net invited me. She's also part of the Cleveland Podcasters Meetup. If you're interested, if you're in the Northeast Ohio, go to clevelandpodcasters.com. I will be rebranding that eventually before I die to Northeast Ohio (laughs) Podcasters. But right now, it's it's still clevelandpodcasters.com. And I got to go to one of those. And it's really interesting to see people who are trying to work on their craft. And that's really what podcasting does. My buddy Nick Suberling uh, is now doing play-by-play calls on the radio and he has a broadcast background. He went to school for it and podcasting kind of helped him keep his chops up. So it's a great reason if you're a person that A, is an introvert, you're not really good at speaking to people, this is a great way to practice. And the beauty of it is when you start out you're starting with zero people listening. So if you're worried about what you're going to sound like, guess what? Nobody's listening when you first start out. You'll maybe get a handful of people. And as you get better, more and more people will listen. It's awesome. 
And again, the School of Podcasting opens June 1st. Put that on your calendar. Go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash newsletter and sign up because there will be a coupon coming. This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Changing the world one download at a time. One of the most frequently asked questions I get is about playing music in a podcast. And of course, I've already said it. I'm not a lawyer, but here's the deal on that. The answer pretty much what is no. In other words, if I want to play something from, let's say, Prince or Kiss or whoever, uh, Justin Bieber, uh, Justin Timberlake, whoever, and it's just not going to happen. Here's why. You need permission by the person who wrote the song, the person that performed the song, and the person who has the mechanical rights to it, better known as the masters. And there's even more to it. I was listening to a podcast, I believe it's called The Pub, and they did a whole thing on music, uh, you know, the whole how do you do it, that whole nine yards. And I can sum it up like in two words. It's complicated. They just kept saying it over and over and over. And if, if it's live streaming, you have to do this. If it's a download, it's doing this. Then there's this whole thing of if you can fast forward or not, like if you can jump to a certain part of it, that brings in a whole new wrinkle. And so the the general line, yeah, it's called Currents the Pub. Currents the Pub is the name of the show. And it's really interesting. It's all about radio and media. I just discovered it. And in a nutshell, you can't play other people's stuff you know, a famous person on a major label, you just can't play it legally. Now, the key word there is legally. And you'll hear today that I did something illegal. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And it ended up costing me a fine. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody has been fined yet with music. But we know that that software is available because if you ever try to upload anything to YouTube, I I had a situation where... Eric K. Johnson, the podcast talent coach, and I do a show called Podcast Review Show. If you want to get some unbiased opinion on your show, we help you spotlight what you're doing right and maybe help you tweak the things that maybe aren't doing so great at it. Go over to podcastreviewshow.com. And somebody was doing a show and they played some gospel music at the beginning of their show. Well, little did we know that that was unlicensed music. And we uploaded the video to YouTube and YouTube instantly smacked it. And eventually I think they got it to where that video could be viewed everywhere, but Germany, I don't know why, but that was the deal. But that technology was instantaneously. I mean, we uploaded it and it was like instantly like, wham, you can't do this. So the technology to listen to audio and to be able to tell if there's unlicensed, you know, basically to, to identify music is, is not something that we're waiting for the technology. It's here. It's just a matter of, are they going to point that gun at podcasting. So uh, so as we get into legal speak, that's the first question I wanted to talk about. I didn't talk about it with, with Gordon because I wanted to get into other areas that I was unfamiliar with, and I'm familiar with that one, and it's just a mess. There are people that are doing it, and even the people that are paying the different rights and things like that are doing the best they can, but unfortunately, the music industry just kind of has their head up their rear end, and if they were smart, they would come out with some sort of license for podcasting, but it's the music industry is such a huge industry, even though it is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're just not going to move their 
industry for little people like us so they can make an extra 300 bucks for me a year or whatever they would charge. Who knows? So let's dig a little deeper into the legal side of the pool with Gordon Firemark. All right. Well, joining me via Skype, uh, we're going to talk a little law today with Gordon Firemark. Let me read you a little bit of his bio here. Basically, he works with, you name it, in the entertainment industry, whether it's artists, writers, producers, directors, film, television, and new media. He's, uh, since his admission to the practice in 1992, that's that's a ways back there. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've basically, you focused your attention on providing sound, practical, legal, and strategic advice to your clients so they can make smart deals, which is hard to do, I would think, in the entertainment industry, uh, grow their business and do great things. Not only is he a lawyer, he's also a podcaster. He does the uh, entertainment law update. He does the entertainment law asked and answered, and he also does the law podcasting. He is also the author of the book, the, the podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide. Gordon, thank you so much for coming on the show, buddy. Well, thank you. And after that introduction, we're all out of time. Thank I'm you very say, much. It's been a pleasure. That, literally. That's like a, <laughs> that's like 20% of your bio. It goes on and on forever. I was like, all right. Yeah. You got a BA in radio, say, uh, television and film from the University of Oregon. How? Well, let's ask that question. Yeah. What drew What drew you more in the the law part or the entertainment part? I was always an entertainment guy. So you know, I went off to I started in high school, junior high. I started as a sound guy doing live theater and was working professionally in that area by the time I graduated high school. Off to college I go. I'm going to be a theater major, and it was a acting oriented program, and I was not an onstage guy. I worked on some of the school related shows and things, but I got a job in town working as a sound guy at the local theater and things like that. So I switched my major into radio, TV and film, which was a, you know, mostly production oriented kind of a program that had a track, you know, that you, you had to take these courses in government regulations and, and uh, media policy issues and things like that. And I did really well in those classes. So to the point that a professor pulled me aside one day, yeah, you should think about going to law school. So I fell down on the floor laughing, and after I got up, I gave it some thought. <laughs> so uh, uh, definitely, it was it was entertainment industry first, and law second. When you were doing the the high school, when you're doing the sound guy things, any yep. uh, any interesting stories of plays gone horribly wrong that you were just sitting there watching, going, uh, "How do I handle this?" We had the, the occasional situation where the power would go out in the middle of the show <laughs> and the actors are standing there in the dark and afraid of moving because they'll fall into the orchestra pit or something <laughs> like that. One time we had a, 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 one of the performers broke his arm mid-performance and toughed it out. You know, he, he was it, actually the scene was a football scene taking place in a strobe light, you know, kind of a, a cool effect. He falls down and just landed wrong on the corner of his elbow and, and broke his, uh, broke his arm in two places and, uh, somehow managed to go another hour before he went to the hospital after the show wow. was over, finished the performance. Those, I mean, it, it, the, the resilience and, and strength of will people sometimes have is amazing. And in the theater, especially it's that show must go on attitude and it's just awesome couple things we want to talk about today, but I, all, obviously all legal things. So mm-hmm. kind of maybe some of the the things that maybe podcasters aren't thinking about or mistakes they, they might be doing. So let, let's start off with the, with trademarks. What is, what can you trademark? What is it? How do I go about doing it? So a trademark is a distinctive word or symbol or phrase, you know, you like a logo or something like that. It has to be distinctive and, and set the, the, the product that it's attached to apart from the others in the marketplace. That's the whole purpose of a trademark. We call them brands. And if you think about, you know, what we used to do with cattle, we'll still do with cattle, 
you know, the ranchers would put their distinctive brand on the cow to say, okay, this cow comes from that ranch. Same exact thing with a trademark. If you buy a box of crackers that has a red triangle in the upper left corner, you know this box of crackers or cookies is coming from Nabisco. Or a shoe with a swoosh on it. We know it's Nike, right? So that's the purpose and nature of trademarks. So in order to, to have a trademark, it has to be distinctive. And it can be distinctive on its face just because it's a, a very coined phrase or a word that doesn't exist in the lexicon. Uh, or it can acquire distinctiveness over time. The classic example for this one these days is pay less shoes. It's very descriptive of exactly what you're doing. Nothing distinctive about that except that it's been in use so long by one company that it's now their trademark. That was going to be one of my questions. What if you started a podcast, been doing it a year? Is it too late now? And, and you, maybe another podcast comes out with a, a very similar name or even in some mm-hmm. cases the same name. <laughs> is it too late now to take action? No. And in fact, the the, the rule is the first in time, first in right. For the people who got there first have the priority of, of the rights. So assuming that they are confusingly similar, which is the standard that we'd look to, uh, then if there were a dispute between two podcasters or, or a podcaster in a television show or something like that, you got there first and you can prove it, you're going to win that case. Uh, whether you registered the trademark or not, really. Registration is important for other reasons. It, it affords you a lot of this protection that otherwise isn't quite as strong. But if you got there first, you've got a pretty strong claim under state and federal unfair competition law as well. Well, and speaking of that, what does it take? What's what's the fees involved? Is there is there a flat fee for a trademark or to register a trademark? Yeah, trademarks can be registered in a number of. This is another component of this we have to talk about is a number of different categories and classes of goods and services. So, uh, we who do entertainment and media and, and educational stuff all fall within this class forty one is what it's called. But that wouldn't stop somebody from having a competing product in, I don't know, say a medical device or an article of clothing or something like that. So you register in each of these classes that you actually are, have goods and services in commerce. The cost to register the filing fees, the government filing fees are actually about $300 per class registration. And it's a good idea sometimes to do a search depending on the nature of the mark. You know, a lawyer will tell you whether you should do a search because again, you don't want to be bounced out because you did a confusingly, so you chose something that's similar to someone else. Uh, and then the legal fees, you know, it, it, it's a big range, you know, probably about a thousand bucks in legal fees to, to get it filed. A lot of people do it themselves and most of the time don't have a lot of trouble. The, the harder, there are some tricky components to it. So you want to really read up and pay attention to how you're going to describe the goods and services that you're doing. Uh, there's a, an example in the space of podcasting just recently that uh, you may, may have heard about. The, uh, the podcast Serial applied for and was denied a trademark registration because it's descriptive of what they do. <laughs> a series of episodes is Serial. <laughs> Leaving aside that it does probably have that secondary meaning now from having been used in a way that is different. Uh, so we may see an appeal of that, but uh, yeah. So, And had they described it differently, there might have been a, a better chance of it going through the first time. Hmm. Now, if somebody doesn't get a trademark, what are they leaving themselves? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen if you don't trademark your show? You know, it's an interesting question because historically a trademark was limited geographically until you got the the federal trademark registration done or international trademark done. And so if you had a store on in Los Angeles called uh, 
Coast Computing and somebody wanted to start one up in North Carolina, Coast Computing, they could because you didn't have a registered trademark. So there was no notice, you know, sort of like a, like a, uh, like a title search, right. <laughs> you know, having a deed on file. So, but by registering, you would put the whole world on notice that, Hey, someone's already using coast computing. And so we're not going to let anybody else, or they, they would have the ability to prevent somebody else from using it anywhere in the U S. So you've got the geographic thing, but when you're in a space like podcasting and the internet, now it's, it's sort of global. So you're going to be limited, maybe not geographically, but by specific medium, maybe even more narrowly than that by genre within a medium. And so that's where it gets really weird. You have, you know, two shows with very similar names that have different topics and because neither of them registered, maybe, maybe they could both co they, they were expected to coexist in practice. That doesn't really work. And so that's where folks like me really have to get involved and come up with creative solutions. Well, that was going to be, one of my questions, obviously there's this little thing. Oh, I think it's called Google that people, oh, yeah. that people could use. I don't know if you've ever heard of it to, what a nifty idea. to see if, if somebody's using a name like that, obviously, you know, somebody like yourself would do something a little deeper, but I, I would start with Google. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously if it turns up there, I don't have to dig any, dig any further. That's true. <laughs> okay. Don't use that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a, a, always a good starting point. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and then, uh, I always recommend people, you know, start off with like, I always say, write down like three or four names for your podcast mm -hmm. and then check to see if the domain is available. That's always a, a good one. And then they're like, okay, I had five. Now I'm down to three. Great. Mm -hmm. Take those three and now go look at those three. And then when you go like, well, two of them were already in use. Hey, guess what? You just picked the name of your show. It's the one that's left. Yeah. So. And you can search, by the way, anybody can search the patent and trademark office records as well. So if you, if you go to USPTO.gov and search trademarks, you can type in the name there too and see what's out there. USTPO? PTO, Patent and Trademark Office. Awesome. .org. Beautiful. .gov. .gov. Yeah. Okay. That's why I'm writing it down. <laughs> awesome. It's well, actually a pretty good website. Unlike the Copyright Office website, which is a disaster, the uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website is is well organized, and they've got a lot of good descriptive, uh, you know, explanation videos and things like that as well. So, it is possible, although not advisable, to do a trademark registration yourself. Certainly, these preliminary searches are pretty easy to do. Have you run into any podcasters trying to protect their content yet? Oh yeah. Um, I haven't encountered a lot of situations where a podcaster's content was blatantly ripped off. I mean, it happens and people sort of deal with it themselves that we have, fortunately we have a lot of good tools for that. Copyright is the way you protect the, the content, you know, the expression of ideas that's embodied in your recordings and you own a copyright the moment you fix that stuff in some tangible form on the recording. So press record, make your, do your episode, stop the recording, you have a copyright in the material you've just created to the extent that it's original. So it's yours. Nobody can make copies of that or distribute those copies or perform it in public without your consent. If they do, that's copyright infringement. And the, the remedies we have are, you know, the usual ones, lawsuits and injunctions and restraining orders and money damages, of course. But the, the best one, the easiest to use is the DMCA takedown notice. If somebody uses your stuff without your permission, you find out who's hosting their material, send a DMCA takedown, and they are required to take it down within a certain amount of time according to a policy. 
you know, that's why you see this happening on YouTube all the time. People, the, the owners of the material and the same thing works with, uh, uh, with podcasts. And in fact, you know, you're, you're, uh, involved with Libsyn nowadays. You know, I imagine there's somebody there whose job it is, is to respond to these DMCA takedown notices. And, um, I'd be very interested to have a conversation with that person sometime. It'd be an interesting <laughs> talk, I'm sure. You know, because it, it can be burdensome for them. They get a lot of these things. But yes. as, as an owner of content, this is probably the easiest weapon to use to get rid of that stuff. Well, it's kind of interesting because I actually just paid a fine because yeah. a lot of people do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm in a hurry. I needed an image for, uh, this was back when I um, moved offices. So mm-hmm. I had a post saying, hey, we're moving yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I found this cartoon character, this guy holding a bunch of boxes. When I went to images.google.com, downloaded it, uploaded it to my file. I think I even changed the file name. It was mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's clip art, you know, who cares? Yep. And I got a message saying, hey, you owe us 90 bucks. Or, and I thought it said, just take it down. So mm-hmm. I took it down. I got a second notice saying, hey, where's our 90 bucks? Yeah. And I, I called them. And I said, I could have sworn the first message said, take it down. And they said, oh yeah. And you owe us 90 bucks. So I pleaded stupid and I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, is there like a payment plan for the $90 trying to get out (laughs) of it? And uh, they said, we can knock it down to 55 if you pay it right now. And I went 55 it is. So I, I, I paid that and uh, I I still would love to know what kind of little sniffer they had to do that. But if you think you can get away with that. uh, Well, Google does have an image tool that does this and you can actually go out and have it search for. And, but I think these, these companies that are in the business of selling images also have their own proprietary, probably slightly more aggressive tools. Uh, if I'm, if I'm guessing correctly, that was one of the major stock photo kinds of companies. I also have had that similar instance where uh, an intern who was working for me posted a blog post and we had an image in there and I got a bill my bill was quite more significant than that. And yeah, I got uh, lucky, I think, from what I hear. I've, I've heard it's in the I, hundreds. We ended up talking down and, and negotiating it downward. And that's, so that's an important lesson for the listeners is that if you do get these kinds of things, don't just assume the fine is fixed in stone. It is something you can discuss and negotiate and, and you know, plead your case. If it was only up there for three days before you got caught, that's very different from if it was up there for 12 years. Yeah. And um, mine was up there for a number of years. Yeah. So, uh, well, you mentioned oh. fair use. I know a lot of people, yep. I occasionally will play a snippet of somebody and I will I'll usually say, what I'm going to do is illegal. Well, I don't think it's illegal. I think I can get by with fair use. But the one thing I always mention with fair use is that does mean this is the plea I'm going to enter yes. when I'm in, in court. So yeah. tell us a little bit about fair use. Well, there's actually been a little bit of a change in the law in recent in the last year or so that deals with this, because what I used to always say is, yeah, sure, it might be fair use. And you get to argue that right, you know, the very first day you're standing in front of a jury in court with your lawyer, having spent a year getting ready for the court case and you've spent, you know, six figures in legal fees. So yeah, you can argue fair use. Sure. Ready to pay for it. The fact of it is now the law changed a little bit in in dealing. Actually, it was that case involving the dancing baby and the Prince song. Stephanie Lenz was the name of the mom who posted this video. It's Lenz versus Universal. Last year, a court ruled that copyright owners have an obligation to consider whether something is a fair use before they issue those takedown notices and before they file lawsuits. So that fair use is no longer treated merely as a defense, but essentially it's a right. And that, that jibes with the origin of the doctrine of fair use, which is the First Amendment, free speech. 
So anytime you have a law like copyright that restricts people's right to use stuff in speech, that inherently conflicts with freedom of speech. <laughs> so, you know, we have re good, legitimate, valid reasons stated in the Constitution for why we should have a copyright law. But we can only go so far before we get into trouble with this freedom of speech thing. So in order to promote discussion and allow us to advance the culture by building on the shoulders of giants, for lack of a better expression, we want to be able to use small amounts in certain ways without having to go and get permission, whatever else. So what fair use is, is this notion that we will analyze every alleged infringement and every alleged claim that it's fair use according to four factors. And these four factors, none of which is, is predominant. They all sort of weigh equally. You know, it's, it's what's the nature of the original, what's the amount and substantiality of the portion that was taken, what's the nature of the alleged infringing use, and what's the impact on the marketplace for, for the original when that, if that, if the copying use is allowed to continue. And then we sort of take all that and mix it all together and balance all these factors out and then sort of ask one more question, is it transformative? Does, is the new use somehow different in its very character and nature in a way that we want this new kind of speech, this new in interpretation of stuff to be, you know, to proliferate? And if the, you know, if we weigh these factors and see which way it comes out. So it's done on every, on a case by case basis. There's no, hard and fast rule of thumb about how much you can use or I'm not getting paid so it must be fair use. That's not true. We have to think about all these different factors and that's why we, we talk about it being expensive to litigate the question. Uh, but now I think it's a little, we got a little bit of a lean in the direction of the users nice. um, with that new, new ruling. A little bit. You know, it, um, movie review shows are a classic example. You know, what they do is they play a snippet of the movie and then they talk about it. Well, playing that snippet of the movie might be copyright infringement, except that we're engaging in criticism, which we as a society have decided is a valid right. use of speech. <laughs> uh, and you're only using enough to get the point across and it's not going to affect them. You know, part of the whole thing about a review show is you do it so that people will go see the movie. Right. <laughs> so. Well, the other thing, that I've gotten in trouble with is, uh, and maybe you can talk on this is how do you avoid, I guess the verb would be defaming people. How do I avoid defamation? Yeah. So defamation is false statements made about people that are apparently factual and that cause that person harm uh, to their reputation or their standing in the community. So, so accusing someone of being a prostitute, accusing someone of being dishonest in their business, those kinds of statements are certainly going to be defamatory. But Which is exactly uh, what I did. <laughs> At the time, it was a company called Audello. And I said, mm -hmm. these guys are a bunch of scam artists. They lied to me, yada, yada. You should never do business with these people. And they sent a letter fairly quickly that said, kind of back off on that. We're, we're, we're not going to stick the lawyers on you, but can yeah. you kind of back up a smidge on that? Yeah. So you, so you were expressing an opinion. Right. And you're... And I trust that you actually held that opinion. It yeah. wasn't you were making. There's a there's a funny case about a a, a theater reviewer whose brother-in-law was in the play. He hated his brother-in-law, so he gave a bad <laughs> review of the play, even though he thought the play was pretty good. <laughs> so it wasn't a truly held opinion. But opinion is protected because again, this is free speech, the First Amendment. We want to be able to have people express their real views about things. So to the extent that your opinion didn't cite chapter and verse of all the reasons why there was a scam involved or that this was not a, a legitimate kind of a business, 
you were probably on okay ground. But had you done that, had you enumerated things, specifics of what they had done that weren't true, then that might have been a different story. So, you know, the, 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 the truth is a, is a defense in these cases and opinion is a defense. There are a few others as well. But uh, and just for, for clarity for folks who aren't tuned into the issue, the, the common phrases that we talk about for defamation are libel and slander. Slander is the spoken word form and libel is any kind of form that's recorded or disseminated through mass media electronic media. So even though you and I are speaking, it's being recorded and, and transmitted. So we would call it libel. Yeah, I, I learned I had to, A, say, based on these actions, my opinion is, mm-hmm. kind of thing to say. Yeah, you say, you know, in my opinion, or you know, if I were advising somebody, I'd recommend against it because I just don't think they're honest people. You're okay, <laughs> you know. Is there anything we should be worried about? A lot of people want to have contests. And, you know, if you, is there anything, that that's another one that's always kind of gray. And I, Is that by a state-by-state basis or... Anything we can get in uh, legal trouble with, with trying to get people to review or whatever we're doing? Yeah, there are both state and federal regulations of contests and lotteries and those kinds of things. And it's a very deep, broad subject, so a little hard to cover here. Right. Uh, suffice to say, you, you want to make sure you're, you're doing it by the book. And one of the one of the things is if there's skill involved in in what's being asked of the entrance, it's going to start to look like gambling. Whereas if it's just, you know, a random drawing, that's okay. It's not, well, it is still gambling in a sense, but, but, um, uh, for some reason that's where the, where a distinction lies. Transparency is really the most important of the issues here. You want to make sure that the people know what they're getting into, that you have clearly stated contest rules and, and, uh, and so on. And, you know, even if it's just, Hey, you know, I'm going to pick from one of the people who leaves me a review on the iTunes store this week and you'll get a gift card. You know, that, that's enough of a statement of the rules as long as you are actually picking somebody and doing it. Yeah, that Otherwise, would be. <laughs> all statements and fraud and all kinds of stuff. So These little things, you're just not allowed to lie. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> Somehow the winner is always somebody who doesn't actually exist, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know. I sent him an email. It's uh, didn't work yeah. or whatever, thing like that. Well, I know in your book, again, it's called the, the Podcast, Blog, and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. You have a thing there on monetization and also about kind of like writing, like negotiating better pricing. Is I had the uh, table of contents here. Yes, 10 tips for uh, negotiating better deals. Is that more in line of uh, like a uh, an advertising deal or? You know, I would say these are, are principles that apply pretty pretty universally across any kind of a negotiation. You know, they are, you know, you got to know your bargaining power. Sometimes you have a lot, sometimes you have a little, uh, sometimes it's fairly equal between the two parties and you need to know that you need to know what you want out of the deal. You need to understand what the other side needs out of the deal in order to make it worthwhile. So you can ask for what you really need. You make sure you ask for what you need and want and that you don't settle for less than you really need. That's sort of the principle of a negotiation. But you know, you could use this in negotiating a deal with a co-host. You could use this in negotiating a deal with a sponsor or, uh, you know, a vendor who's providing you with some equipment or, you know, all kinds of things. The art of negotiation yeah. <laughs> is a whole new topic. But, uh. <laughs> well, the other thing I, I know some people, I've never had to sign one yet. I think I had to sign one once is a release form. What I usually <laughs> do is, and when we get done here, I'll, I'll do the same thing to you. I'll say, is there anything that you said that you want to have removed or, you know, 
replaced or anything like that. That's kind of my my verbal yeah. release. Um, would that stand up in court? I think that's really smart, actually. I usually recommend that people do it at the beginning. You know, okay, I'm pressing the record button. You understand I'm recording what, you were, what we're saying. And you're giving me the right to use anything we say in any way I like. I think what you're doing is by doing it after the fact, well, technically there's a, there's a rule in some states that says you have to, if you're recording some, a conversation, all parties need to know about that. So it's always a good idea to say, hey, I'm starting the recording or I've just started the recording. Get that in tape. But, but a, by doing it after the fact, you're giving them, A, an option to say, well, would you mind cutting that part about such and such out? And then you can say, but other than that, everything's fine? And they say yes. Now you've got their you know, explicit consent to everything that was contained in there. And I think that's really great. I always prefer that these things are done in writing, but, you know, let's face it, uh, we don't have a, a very good mechanism for for doing that in, in the informal podcast recording space. Although, actually, I, I think I might have a business idea here to just put up a, to create a, a thing where people can go and sign in and click a button and say, yes, I agree, and, you know, yeah. the, it's done. Yeah, I'm sure that's easy to do. Yeah. But uh, if people want to see a, a good release form, uh, you can go to podcastrelease.com. And I have a free form that you can you know, give me your email address, of course. That's the quid pro quo, and it's not negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> give me an email address, and you'll get this uh, podcast release form. And uh, I promise I'll probably try to sell you my book, too. Awesome. <laughs> and, um, well, how long have you been podcasting? I have an interesting... Coming well, I, the way I came to podcasting is a fellow. I'm going to give a shout out to a guy named Brian Alves, who is a, a video producer for a company I think in Massachusetts somewhere. And um, he had created a show called the Law Podcasting Podcast. And I, he reached out to me by email one day or something on a forum maybe, and and asked, "Would I mind coming on as a guest to talk about legal issues facing videographers?" I said, "Sure." And we got set up and we did the recording. And we had such a good time, we decided to do it in a Q&A format every couple of weeks. And we did that for about a year. This was back in, I want to say 2006, maybe 2007. And uh, got hooked on it that way, invested in a little bit of equipment and was having fun with it. One week he wasn't able to, available to do it and we, I just decided, okay, I'll record it by myself. <laughs> and I did and saw how easy it was. And so that was my start to podcasting. Uh, after he decided to take his shows in a different direction. Uh, I decided to do my own. That was the birth of entertainment law update. And I went on Twitter and I found a co-host to ba banter back and forth on. And we do a uh, monthly roundup of legal news and in the entertainment space. And um, did you do the show first and then get a co-host? No, I, I knew I wanted to do a co-host format because I didn't want to have to support the entire conversation myself. Uh, that just by having someone to talk to. So how did um, you, was there, did they have to audition? Did you record a couple of test shows? I did. I actually, I lucked out and I found on my first, my first person was wow. the one I ended up working with. Um, she was recommended to me by a bunch of people on Twitter. You know, I was, in, I was following a bunch of lawyers in, the, in similar related spaces and I had a couple of criteria. It had to be someone in a different city. So we weren't directly competing for business and I wanted it to be a woman so that it was a difference of voices. And, you know, I came at it sort of like a TV producer or any kind of producer comes at casting a show. And they recommended her. Her name is Tamara Bennett, and she practices in Dallas, Texas area. And, uh, yeah, we, we connected by Skype and, you know, sort of 
got a feel for each other and then recorded a, a sample episode of maybe 15 minutes or so and agreed on a protocol on how we were going to do things. And off we went. And that was uh, 75 episodes ago Beautiful. on a monthly basis. That's so eight years. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I love the fact that you took the, the law podcasting is a podcast about podcasting, but it's, you know, we always talk about niching down. You went, here's how podcasting can help lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that show is actually supporting a course that I created teaching lawyers how to podcast. You know, again, same issue. There's a lot of shows out there about podcasting and there's an awful lot of people out there teaching people how to podcast. But we lawyers, some of it is I think we just like to think we're different, but some of it is we have some restrictions on the way we market and promote ourselves that other folks just don't have. Ethical rules and you know, legal requirements. So I wanted to address those concerns for lawyers and also frankly to show how fast and easy it is to do a podcast and how you can leverage that as a, a way of generating a lot of content in a short amount of time. So you get the SEO juice of having stuff showing up on your website all the time. So I, I decided to do this podcast in support of that. And I interview other lawyers who have shows and we talk about the how, the why, and the tech, and geek out about our microphones and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> well, are they finding that it's actually bringing in business? It's been great for me. And I would say about half the folks I interview have the same experience. And the other half are doing shows that maybe aren't directly related to law. So it's harder to, hard to measure. But, you know, I, I like to say, if you're a, if you're a motorcycle accident lawyer, you probably don't want to do a show about motorcycle accidents. That's going to be a very limited group of people who are interested in listening to that at week in, week out, unless they've just had a motorcycle accident and they want to know what they should do. But do you do a show about motorcycle touring right, or something like that? The, the do focus on the hobby and then brought to you by so-and-so the motorcycle accident lawyers. If you've been in an accident, contact us, you know? And so you've got, you're creating your own program length advertising essentially. Um, without it being overtly obnoxious advertising. It's just useful content. And isn't that really what all content marketing is about? You know? Pretty much. You, yeah. you talk about your industry, your your niche, and then, oh, by the way, did you know that? <laughs> and you exactly. go from there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the get them to let you in the door first, and then when you're in the living room, make the sale. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Awesome. And again, if you want to check out that course, that's at lawpodcasting.com. All things, uh, Gordon, are at firemark.com. That's Mark with a K in case you want to throw in a C. It's, do, you, do you own the C just in case? Uh, you know, I should, but uh, <laughs> no, Firemark is my actual last name. So F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K.com. Dot TV is the, uh, is the YouTube channel where I do the asked and answered questions on video. And that's also spit out as a, as a audio podcast feed as well. And, um, the book podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide is at law, uh, excuse me, podcastlawbook.com. That's easy to remember. And, and, uh, yeah, my main show is called entertainment law update. Beautiful. Well, you've been doing this a while. Have you, and you said that at one point you upgraded your content. Do you have the drawer full of microphones or anything that you go, Oh, that was a bad idea or any, any things that you've stumbled across as you've, you know, made you your know, way podcasting. I made a, well, because I was a sound guy before I ah, good point. went to law school, I had some gear and I, what I needed was to figure out, this is in, remember 2006, 2007, how do I connect this high end XLR condenser microphone to my computer without a mixer? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have a, I had had an old mixer, but I'd gotten rid of it. So I ended up going out and buying a, I think it was an M audio device or something like that, that did the job with a little preamp and whatever. And you know, my big mistake was using the condenser mic. Right. Um, it just was, I was in this concrete walled room anyway, and it was just an echo chamber. It was really, so I'd had the blanket over my head while I was recording, you know, all this. Did you, you actually know, do the blanket over the head? Actually, what I did is I put a pillow on the desk below me and the blanket or, or the jacket up over my de- head. And it gets really mic. hot real quick. Yeah, right. So you can go for about 15 minutes before you have to pause and take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that worked for a while. And then, um, you know, all of the, well, it was mainly Cliff, I think, Cliff Ravenscraft, who was talking about the PR40 all the time. Right. So, um, you know, I saved up. Actually, I, I, I switched from that condenser to just a Shure SM58 for a while. When I decided to do my show, I bought the PR40, I bought a mixer and really um, uh, got going in a big way. And you know, truthfully, nowadays, I'm, I'm recommending the uh, Audio-Technica ATR2100 as the mic to use. And uh, I have a handful of them that I will send out to my guests and stuff. And nice. Have them send them. Yeah. Well, anything that uh, you can think of here legal-wise as we start to kind of wrap up that we probably should have talked about that we didn't hit yet? You know, the one other area that podcasters sometimes get slapped with a little bit is uh, when they have affiliate relationships and they don't disclose that it's an affiliate link wow. that they're pointing people to or if they're endorsing a product and they don't say, hey, I got this product for free so I could review it and here's my review. You know, the, just don't be misleading is the is the sort of basic rule of thumb. We, we learned this stuff in grade school, <laughs> you know, be nice, don't lie to people, don't mislead them you know, be honest and transparent. But so the FTC regulations on advertising and, and endorsements are something to be considered as well. So I know what, one other thing um, that I want to suggest that everybody do, there's a cost associated with this one guys, but, the, but this tip is valuable. Remember I mentioned the DMCA takedown notices earlier mm-hmm. in order. So the reason that we have this, well, the reason that the, the folks like YouTube and Google and folks don't get sued for copyright infringement every time somebody post something that they host is because of this DMCA takedown notice, uh, takedown law, the digital millennium copyright act. What this rule basically says is if the company has a policy of taking things down when they receive these notices and a policy of, you know, deleting the accounts of repeat infringers. And if this company has registered its agent for service of process with the copyright office, then it will not be, it can't be the subject of a lawsuit. Hmm. it's a safe harbor against these lawsuits. So that's hugely powerful. Well, us as podcasters, if we are using, if we're allowing any kind of third party content, user generated stuff on our websites, whether that's a a comments on a blog post or someone wants to upload a, an audio comment that we're going to play in the show, all of that is user generated content. If we're doing any of that, it makes sense for us to register that agent with the copyright office. So you go to copyright.gov, and you search for DMCA agent, and there's a form you download. It's easy, you know, you have to write it, copy it, and make it your own thing. It's a word processor document, basically. But it basically says, here's who you call, here's who you write to, and here's, and you have to keep this in on your website also. You have to identify who the person to talk to is. And you file this form. It's about 130 bucks, I think, is the filing fee. And that makes you eligible for that safe harbor. Mm. So... Um, I'm, I recommend that everybody who's, you know, doing these things sort of seriously and allowing comments and other stuff, because let's face it, 
you could have a comment posted on your website that includes a, you know, a poem that somebody copied out of a book and typed into the computer. And if the poet decides you're infringing copyright, you get a, <laughs> you get a demand letter or notice better to just have, um, or, or paste one of those photos, yeah. cartoon or something, have that on file and save yourself a big expensive lawsuit. That's the thing. It's like, I, I would rather pay 130 bucks mm-hmm. for safe Harbor than to keep my fingers crossed and go, what do you mean? I owe you a thousand dollars. Yeah. But you know, let's face it. 130 bucks is two ATR 2100s. That's it. <laughs> so podcasters have their priorities, but you know, <laughs> you got to be mindful about the expense of not doing something sometimes. Awesome. Well, again, uh, if you want to check out Gordon's book, uh, is everything just at firemark.com? No, actually the book isn't really visible on there because the firemark.com is my law practice oh, website. Right. Makes sense. The book is at, law, at podcastlawbook.com. Although you've given me a reason I should really put up an ad on my, on my own website <laughs> for the book, uh, podcastlawbook.com for the book, entertainmentlawupdate.com for my p- main podcast. Law podcasting is the course I told you about. And, uh, uh, oh, there's others, but yeah. And firemark.com is a great place to, to find out more about me That's generally. Right, to contact you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do deeply appreciate it. You're going to be at podcast movement. I am speaking at Podcast Movement again this year, and Excellent. I'm excited as heck about going. Yeah, so it'll be fun. So it'll be fun. We, we will see you there. Yep. Great being with you. Thanks. Super nice guy. Wow. Just any, what a voice as well. I got to hang out with uh, Gordon last year at uh, Podcast Movement and uh, hope to see him there this year. That'll be fun. I know he said he's teaching, which will be great. And uh, have a question here before we get ready to head out the door. I have, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I get a little tired of updating WordPress. And for most of you who have one website, it's not that big a deal. But the problem that I'm finding, especially with people who hire me to troubleshoot their feed, is that if you don't update your website, it's really easy to get hacked. You're just leaving the door wide open. And I have a lot of websites that I've started and then forgot about. And what I'm looking for is I know they make, I know there's managed WP, there's CMS commander, there's infinite WP, WP remote, I control WP. And then there's one I just found out about from iThemes called iThemes sync. And there's links to these out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash five one three. The bad news is I haven't used any of these. I've played with a couple of them. I played a little bit with CMS commander. I've heard a lot of really good things about that. And I like that one because it allows me to clone a site, which could be very, very cool. But if you have, and I'm trying to stay away from WordPress multi-site, it sounds weird. It's very human of me. I'm just not really pumped up to flatten another learning curve, for lack of a better phrase, in the WordPress area. And uh, so if you have any experience with a plugin that allows you, or a service that allows you to manage multiple websites from one, because I like to go in and say, oh, okay, here's all my websites. Like this week, the Yoast SEO plugin had a security issue with it. And everybody, I think, heard about it. There was a lot of talk about it. And we all went in. Well, for me, I had to go in and update like six different websites. And it'd be nice. I would actually pay a fee, because again, you always pay for things with money or time, to be able to log into one website and go update all my websites. Just click with a button, boom, do it. Because when you have enough websites that kind of becomes a hassle. And so if you have any experience with that, I'm throwing this one out to you guys. And also I will, uh, I'll put a, a picture 
on the website, schoolofpodcasting.com slash 513. Want to thank everybody who is sending a selfie of themselves listening to the show. I uh, had some folks, a lot of people doing things outside, building uh, walls. Ryan Parker was mowing the lawn. And uh, just uh, take a selfie picture of yourself and email it to me, Dave at schoolofpodcasting.com. Put a headline like, here's where I listen or a picture of me. And I'm um, I'm putting them on the wall. I did find out that uh, it, it might be a good idea for me to invest in a level of some sort because I've got about, I don't know, 15 pictures behind me here as I do this. And they are so crooked. It's, it's just, so I have to go and redo them all now. But uh, it's just something I do. And it's, it's weird because for some of you, especially now I've been doing this for, you know, 11 years now talking to my computer screen as I look at a bunch of bullet points here, but I I'm thinking of, of you listening as I do this. And it's kind of cool now to turn around and, and see you that I'm talking to behind me. And the, uh, to, can we peel back the curtain just a little more, just, just a tad more. I actually work from home and as cool as it is to have a five foot commute to work, there are times when it gets really kind of like, is, you know, I get tired of talking to the cat and the stuffed bear on my bed. <laughs> so when I see the smiling faces, uh, it kind of uh, cheers me up a little bit. So thank you uh, so much in advance for those that have uh, already sent them in. And, and thank you to you if you're getting ready to do that uh, right now. I do deeply appreciate it. And uh, it's a it's a an experiment you should be doing with your audience. It really is cool. And plus, when you send me the picture, I'm going to tell you right now and feel free to ignore them, but I'm probably going to email you back and say, so do you have a podcast? If you do, tell me about it. If you don't, what's your hurdle? And that's not why I'm doing this. I'm not doing it to start a conversation, but hey, why not? I would like to know more about you because the more I know about you, the more I can kind of make this show uh, more appropriate to uh, to you. And uh, this is why you close your uh your windows when you record. I don't know if you guys heard that car alarm going off behind us, but uh, I think that's the signal. Yep. What's that sound mean? Yep. It means it's time to wrap up the show. So, so I want you to write this down. I told you I had a special announcement, write down podcastingpuzzle.com because that's where you need to go. What is podcastingpuzzle.com? Well, here's the deal. If this has been you, you've been thinking about starting a podcast for a little while. Maybe it's been a couple of weeks. Maybe it's been a couple of months. Maybe it's been a year or more. And you're just not quite sure. And in some cases, you'd like to answer, you'd like to ask some questions, but you're like, eh, I kind of feel stupid about that because, I mean, everybody seems to just jump into this thing. Well, I want to talk podcasting 101 with you. And so I'm doing a series of live, let me straight, let me uh, stress that live webinars. These are absolutely free. It's going to cost you your email address and no, I'm not going to spam you. I hate spam as much as you do. But what we're going to talk about is like from ground zero, what is a podcast? What do you need? What kind of equipment do you need? What is this whole RSS thing? And how do you get into iTunes? And what is iTunes? Now, there's going to be some time at the end for some Q&A. But this is not the time to come in. This is not Ask the Podcast Coach kind of stuff. This is this is Podcasting 101. Now is not the time to come in and ask me, Dave, what ratio do you use on your 
DBX286 compressor. No, that is not podcasting. This is 101 stuff. And I want you to feel safe asking that kind of stuff because you're thinking it. There are so many people that are getting into podcasting right now, and it does seem like everybody's just jumping in. But this is a place for you and me to sit down and talk a little podcasting 101. You're like, great, Dave, when is it? It is Saturday, May 21st, 1 to 2 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. You're like, ah, crap, that's Doris's wedding. All right, how about Wednesday, May 25th, 8 to 9 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. You're like, oh, that is uh, Roy's tap tap, uh, uh, exhibition. Roy's a big tapper. And uh, you're like, okay, how about this one? Saturday, May 28th, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Maybe Wednesday's the prom. I don't know. Right. So Saturday, May 21st, 1 to 2 p.m. The following Saturday as well, Saturday, May 28th, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Wednesday, May 25th, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this is all geared towards podcasting 101. If you're brand new to podcasting, if you have some questions, maybe you felt intimidated about asking them, there are no stupid questions. Come to podcastingpuzzle.com and I will, I'm will. i going to have some slides to help explain some things. If you uh, are a regular listener of mine, it's going to be analogies galore, which will great. It's going to be great fun. A night of a thousand analogies. That domain was unfortunately taken. So I went with podcastingpuzzle.com. So I look forward to to seeing you at one of these webinars or I'll just see you June 1st when the School of Podcasting registration opens. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next week, take care, class is dismissed, and God bless.